All right, take your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. This is what I want you to do this week with Jonah. Uh, I'd like you to take a, some time. It's going to take you about 15, 20 minutes to read through it. It's only four short chapters. But if you can just read it several times this week, uh, we're, we're going to do a part one and then a part two next week on the book of Jonah. How many of you are pretty familiar with the story? All right, y'all pretty familiar with the story? So this will be part one. It's about the reluctant prophet or maybe the rebellious prophet, you, you might even say. Uh, the, the book of Jonah is the Bible's fish story, you know? And what I find out is that most people know like the first half of the story. And next week we're going to kind of get into the second half of the story. And it's where really the punchline is for all of us. Uh, Jonah was a rebellious man uh, who had a real merciful God. Anybody know about that guy? <laughs> a rebellious heart. Had a real merciful God. Uh, he's unique among all the Hebrew prophets in the fact that Jonah was sent to the pagans. He was sent to the heathen. He was sent to uh, the Gentile people. Uh, really kind of given a, fork, uh, a foreshadow of what Jesus would be doing. And we see that unfolding in the book of Acts. But that's kind of the unique twist on he was the only one sent to people who were not uh, part of the Hebrews. So Hebrew to the heathens. Now, this is what I want to do. I just want to read just a few verses here and there and stop and tell the story, show you some graphs, pictures, maps, all that kind of stuff. And uh, let's, let's see what God would have us hear from this prophet called Jonah. All right, come on. Stand with me just for the reading of these first two verses. All right, verse 1 and 2 of Jonah 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Lord, we thank you for our brother Jonah. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you've got here for us today. Uh, open up our eyes, open up our ears so that we can hear what your spirit has for us. Make your word bread today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I mean, you may be seated again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, have you ever been given an assignment that overwhelmed you? Maybe a work project or something of that nature, or, or maybe a honeydew, or maybe a honeydew list that keeps growing, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe intimidated. Maybe it was a, you felt it was a little bit beyond what you were desiring to put into it. We see some of this happening in Jonah. You ever been told to do something that you just did not want to do? Anybody? Amen. Yes. Yeah. We spent a week doing that. <laughs> All right. Sometimes we get that, especially growing up in the household. You know, there's a lot of things mom and dad told me to do that I simply did not want to do. Some things Sandy tells me to do now that I just simply do not want to do. Now, how do you usually react when it's a task that you do not want to do? How do you usually react? You're usually slow to it. You're usually a little procrastinating. You're usually a little bit not necessarily having your whole heart into it, right? So we all kind of know what this is what the book of Jonah is, is a little bit about. It begins to lay the, the idea that Jonah is given an assignment, but it just simply is something that he says flat out, I don't want to do it. And he goes a little bit beyond. He says, I ain't going to do it. And ain't is a Hebrew word that means, you know, <laughs> never mind. He said, I'm not going to do this. I'm just not going to do this. The assignment was this. Go preach to Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh, that great city, but it was great in size, but it was wicked in its actions. Nineveh was founded by a guy by the name of Nimrod. Anybody know who Nimrod, ever heard of Nimrod in the book of Genesis early on? Chapter 10, 11, you see Nimrod. It's around the time of the Tower of Babel. 
Remember that? They built this tower up to God. Uh, to, you know, it just all kinds of things happened right there. We don't have time to get in that story. But that's the, the time frame that Nimrod kind of founded Nineveh. Now, it's known for its great fishing right, right there on the banks of the Tigris River. You've heard of the great rivers, Euphrates and Tigris right there in, in Mesopotamia. That's the region. It's kind of right around the idea of where Iraq is today. It was the capital of the Assyrian kingdom. Okay, Assyria is one of those evil kingdoms in the scriptures. You, you've got the Egyptians, you've got all the ites, you know, the, the, the Hittites, the Malachites, the Edomites, and all them other ites, and the termites, and all them other guys in there, right? You've got all that stuff in there. And then you've got the Assyrians, you've got the Babylonians, you've got the Persians, you've got the Greeks, and the Romans, which take us all the way up to the time of Jesus. Now, the Assyrians would later invade the northern kingdom, and they would disperse the ten tribes that were in the north. They would disperse them and they were not a good people. The Assyrians were a brutal, evil superpower. They were known for inventing ways to torture people. So Jonah gets this assignment. I want you to go down to the enemy's camp and tell them they ain't right and I'm against them. Oh, I'll get right on that. You know? I'm not sure anybody in this room, myself included, would want to go to Nineveh either. I mean, think of the most, I mean, it'd be like, okay, God wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, I want you to go to Baghdad, and I want you to walk the streets, and I want you to tell them how the cow ate the cabbage. Y'all know what that means, right? How many would want to see, receive that assignment? I, you know, I, I may go, but I'm not volunteering, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure I'd want to go to Nineveh either. So I, I, I sympathize with Jonah a little bit here from the human aspect of it. Not, not, the, not the servant divine aspect, but the human aspect. That's a tough assignment now. That's a tough calling. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. This is not... Health and wealth, this is not God's going to bless you. This is not a happy sermon. This is not blessed are. This is turn or burn. Cry out against it. Tell it it's wicked. Tell it I'm against it, says the Lord. That's a tough message, isn't it? Cry out against it. And God makes this statement. He says, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah is to go into the streets of Nineveh, re repent, or I will destroy Nineveh in 40 days, says the Lord. That's going to be his message. One of the shortest sermons in all of human history, all of preacher history, all of prophet history. Repent, or I will destroy Nineveh in 40 days. Now that's an interesting phrase right there. You see it on your screen, it says, for their wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness has come up before me. We, we get that idea several times in the Bible that it's, it's like God is merciful and merciful and merciful for seasons upon seasons. But if, if a nation, a people, a person continues in their sin and in their wickedness, it's like it, it has a buildup effect to God is what the scripture kind of portrays it as. It's like this wickedness just kept rising up and it kept getting thicker and the cloud kept getting thicker and thicker and it came up before God and God said, I'm going to do something about it now. You see that picture? You know, the Bible also says that our good works are like that with God. There's a man in, in the scriptures by the name of Cornelius in the book of Acts. 
And it says, you tell Cornelius that all of his good deeds and all of his charitable deeds have now come up before me. So we see God is paying attention to the good that we do, but he also does pay attention to the bad that we do. In fact, when Jesus is in the, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's, it's like wickedness was portrayed as like this cup of wrath. It's, it's portrayed like that a couple different times in the scriptures, that there's like a cup of wrath. It's a visual for us to get. It's like that cup, when it gets full of all the sin and all the, all the uh, you know, the demise and degradation and abomination of humanity, when that cup gets full, look out. Because when God gets ready to pour out that cup of wrath, it's not going to be a good day for anybody. That's the way it's portrayed. And in Nineveh, their wickedness rose up before God. And God said, I am going to do something about that. Now, Jonah's problem is this. It's not just Nineveh is, is a terrible place and it's a scary place. It's not just that. And those people bark at the moon and they dance around fires and they do crazy stuff. They're pagans. You know, it's not that it's just a crazy place. Jonah hates it. Jonah hates the Assyrians and probably for good reason. They've been at war with God's people for a long time. He probably has friends who's died in the battles. He probably has people that he knows that's died in those battles. And, and, he's, and he's working with kings and, and princes and soldiers. And, and he knows about all this conflict. And Jonah just flat out doesn't like them. And he's got a list of reasons because of it. But there's something we're going to learn about God in this story of Jonah. We'll learn a little bit more about it next week. But here's a real anchor point. Something we learn about God is that he loves the people that we don't even like. He loves the people that we would just soon see destroyed or fall apart or be judged. It's an interesting thing that God looks at Nineveh, he sees their sin, but he wants to save them. Isn't that interesting? Because one day he looked down and saw me in that condition. He said the same thing. Now, verse number three, let's pick up a little more text. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. There's a word that shows up three different times in there. Do you see what that is? Tarshish. It's like the writer is saying, so Jonah got up to go to Tarshish. He put it in his mind to go to Tarshish. So he, we, we went to Tarshish. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's telling us this man had made up his mind. I ain't gonna do it. All right? Now, here's, here's what's running in Jonah's mind. It says, I'm going to go to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, what's wrong with that idea? Anybody in the house ever tried to run from God and you found out he runs faster than you do. And when you get to where you're going, he's there already. Did anybody find that out? Old, old boy said you can run, but you can't. 
you can't hide. And so Jonah has it in his mind. I mean, this is kind of how muddled up his, his thinking is, God, that he is going to flee from the presence of God. And, and my mind instantly went to Psalm 139 with David, where David says this in verse number eight. He said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there, God. And if I make my bed in hell, you are there. So if you're going to run from God, just know this. You're going to run from him, but you can't outrun him. Anybody ever tried that? Anybody ever tried? Maybe you're here this morning and you've kind of been on the run. Or maybe, maybe you weren't given an assignment like Nineveh, but maybe you were just given the call to, to follow. Or maybe the call to, to do a particular thing. Or, or, or maybe just the call to live a holy life. And you find out that you just flat out don't want to do it, so you're going to go in the other direction. Maybe that's you. And Jonah concocts his plan. All right, now I want to show you on the map what he does. This just kind of puts in, in picture of what he does. Okay, here's, here's Israel in this, this kind of area right in, right in here. I don't know if I can get my, my little pointer to pop up here. Nah, it's all right. I ain't getting it. But somewhere around that, where you see that picture, or that, that arrow pointing to Joppa, Israel's right in that general area, okay? You see the Mediterranean Sea? You see where we're at? Everybody can find the boot. You know where the boot is? Okay, that's Italy, right? So we're in the Mediterranean Sea area, okay? This is Africa down on the bottom half, and that's, that's Europe, or, or the, what we know in New Testament as like the Roman Empire, that kind of thing. Uh, where that red area is right there, that's, that's uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, where that red area is where it says Nineveh. It's modern day Turkey. So what Jonah does, he goes down, and, and notice the wording here now, because the book of Jonah is kind of written like a satire. You know what a satire is? It's almost like everything's exaggerated in, in the sense that he, he goes down to Joppa because anytime you get in your mind that you want to run from God, you're always going to be going down. That's what he's telling us. Just put your seatbelt on because the ride you're about to take you're not going to like it at all. Ask me how I know about that ride. <laughs> so Jonah goes down to Joppa and he takes a boat. And where does he want to go? He wants to go to Tarshish, which is over here on the tip of Spain. Now, this is the irony of it all. This is the, the crazy point. Nineveh is that way. Okay, Nineveh is that way. It's kind of modern day Iraq, like I said. Nineveh is that way. Tarshish is that way. And Jonah gets in a boat to run from the assignment and run from God. And he says, I am going to go in the opposite direction. Is what I was told. Anybody ever have a kid like that? <laughs> don't, don't, that may be with you. Just look ahead. <laughs> now, here's, here's the interesting thought about Tarshish. That, that little part right there of Spain in that particular time, was considered the end of the earth. That, that was, that was, they thought that was as far as the, the world went to Spain. So what is it telling us about Jonah? Where do you think he went? I'm going to go as far as I can away from everything, and I'm going to sit myself in this corner, and ain't nobody going to bother me the rest of my life. I ain't doing it. You see, that's a good visual. I hope it helps you a little bit to see the rebellion that's set up in this man's heart. And instead of going that way, he went absolutely the opposite way. And I mean, something happened, something about sin that takes us to that place. It's not that we just don't want to go a little off, 
But sin will take you absolutely the opposite direction of what you ought to go to. That's what happens with our friend Jonah. And it says that when he went down to Joppa, it says this, he paid the fare. Everybody say that with me. He paid the fare. And when you decide to run from what God calls you, whatever it might be, just salvation in general, when you decide to run from God, you will pay the price. I promise you, both in this life and the next. He paid the fare. And here's, here's the thing about that fare. When we decide to go opposite of what God says, here's the thing. That price will be more than what you're wanting to pay. Because there is a real high price for low living. And most of us had tasted that price and had to pay it. He paid the fare. And then it says at the end in, about the boat, he went down into it. I mean, he's all in it now. He has totally committed himself to the wrong direction. Okay? Everybody tracking with me? All right. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, kind of like a, a, a small hurricane, small storm came up, so that the ship was about to be broken up. You know, God oftentimes sends storms that allow us to get back on the right track. That's what's going to happen. God is going to send a storm into this man's life that literally saves him. Because this is something else we find out about God. He loves you and I too much to just let us be. That's why he keeps bothering you. Oh, Billy Sunday called him the hound of heaven. You know, called the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. And he just, when he gets on your trail, you are not going to get him off. The best thing you can do is humble yourself, repent of your sins, and just follow. This storm comes. And storms are oftentimes for us to evaluate and to ask, Lord, what are you doing? What's going on? God sends this storm to save us. Now, I wonder, you know, our nation, it's, it's, it's like all kinds of stormy winds have combined together. Political storm, racial storm, financial storm, healthcare storm, and all these winds started blowing in our nation, and they just started swirling. And we're, we're in a, a real live hurricane right now in all kinds of ways in our nation. And I wonder now, now I, I, not every storm comes from God. Some storms are just all-out attacks of the enemy. There's no doubt about it. Some storms are just part of life. But there are storms that God sends to shake us and to wake us. I wonder now. I just wonder. Just meditating just kind of like you are in all this stuff we got going on. Personally. Nationally. Locally. Is God sending a storm to wake up our nation? Hmm. It's, a, it's an interesting thought. It, it's one worth pondering, isn't it? Either he's sending it or allowing it. And could it be that God is allowing this storm that we're all going through together to wake us up from the possibilities of what can be? Because if you want to watch the news today and see some clips on your social media, you got, to, you got a picture of the possibilities of what can be if we don't wake up. And it's not going to be good. So maybe God in his mercy is allowing all of this. Maybe we needed all this. I don't know. I hate to think about it because we've had a ton of loss of life and loss of income and wealth. But, but what if this storm is, is God's way of saying, America, wake up. Wake up and return to me. I told you to do this. You're going the wrong direction. 
I don't think it's only a possibility. I think it's a truth. He's given us opportunity. Perhaps you're in a storm personally. Because all the press has gotten on all the national stuff going on. But you know, our, our lives are still going on. Some of us are in health crises, financial crises, family, relationship issues, all kind of things going on in our own personal lives outside of all this other stuff. Is God trying to get our attention? It's a question worth asking, I, I promise you. Ask him, ask him. Get some more text, verse number five. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, did you see all the irony that's in all that? I told you this was kind of like a satire. There's a lot of irony here. You, you got the pagans doing the things that are right and you got the prophet doing everything that's wrong. You see that? It really is a picture that this, this part of the world is, is trying to be right and God's people are not doing the right thing. You see the irony? See, the pagans pray. The prophet does not. The pagans work. The prophet's asleep. The pagans are aware that God is doing something. And, I mean, they're pagans. They're calling on every God they know whose name it is. They're aware that this is a, a, some kind of divine happening. They're aware of that. The prophet just simply ignores it all. The pagans know that somebody's disobedience has caused this storm. Isn't that something when, when the pagans have more discernment than the prophet? God help us not to be true for the church. Well, the storm got so bad that they said they needed to lighten the load. Now, storms kind of do that for you. Storms reveal to you and I what really is important in life. I hope in this last four months, has it been four March, April, May, June, July, five. It's been five months, really, we've been going through all this, this nastiness. I hope that all of these storms that's happen, happening right now, I hope they have revealed to you what's really important in life. I hope it's revealed to you some things that need to be lightened up. You need to lighten up your load a little bit, whether that's your schedule, whether that's your financial stuff, whether that, no matter what it is, all the things that kind of clutter into our life. Storms tell us, hey, this is essential. In fact, we come up with those kind of words nowadays. This is essential and this is not essential. Storms help us lighten our load a little bit. That's what happens. And I saw that phrase and I thought, Lord, could this be some of what you want out of us? That we really learn to lighten our load a little bit? Hmm. Well, they do this ancient practice. Maybe they can crawl down to the bottom of the ship there with Jonah. I don't know. But they do this ancient practice called casting lots. Anybody ever drawn straws? You ever done that kind of thing where whoever gets the short straw, they got to do the dishes, you know, that kind of thing? It's kind of similar to that process. Something similar to that, it's, it's really kind of a form of, they cast out the lights and boom, there it was, and it was pointing straight to Jonah. Hmm. 
Jonah, everybody knows now. Jonah's been knowing this. He's been asleep in a depression, mad because he ain't getting to Tarshish. He knows God just interrupted his little vacation. Everybody now knows that Jonah was the reason. And verse 8, let's read several of these scriptures right here. Just piecing the story. You just listen real well. Then they said to Jonah, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? What do you do for a living, man? Where did you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then they were exceedingly afraid. Can you see them all in the, maybe there's 10 or 12 of them in the bottom of that ship. And they all just like, whoa, you're a prophet and you're running from God. What in the world is wrong with you? And you put us in the middle of all your chaos. Are you serious, man? And if you've ever been around a bunch of guys on a boat, uh, they're usually not the most diplomatic guys in the world. You know what I'm talking about? And I can guarantee you there's probably Joe on the other side over there. They're having to hold him back because he's ready to throw him overboard anyway. You know what I'm talking about? You, you got guys like that on your crew. It says, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? Two or three guys raised their hand in the back and said, I got a couple ideas. <laughs> for the sea was growing more tempestuous. Verse number 12. And Jonah said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. And now I want you to see the goodness in these pagans' hearts now. See the goodness. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. See, they wanted to save Jonah. Man, I hear what you're saying. We'll throw you overboard. Boy, that's extreme even for us. But we're, we're going to just try to fight through this thing. We're going to try to work through this thing. It says, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. They're getting ready to throw him over if you didn't figure that part out. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Now, watch what these pagans do. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Another ironic thing right there. The pagans are, are there offering a sacrifice to God and making promises to him. Oh, you got me out of this. I'm going to serve you now. You are the God of heaven and earth. You are the God of the sea and the dry land. We're going to, we're going to, and they're making vows to God. And Jonah is breaking vows to God. You see it? In verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Isn't that an interesting language? Three days and three nights. You've heard that somewhere before, haven't you? The Lord prepared a great fish. You know what? If the storm won't change you, then God's got a 
nice little dark place for you to live in for a little while until you can get it straight. I've learned that in my own life. So the storm didn't change this man's heart. So God prepared phase two angels. Phase two is now active. <laughs> and there's a great fish. Now scientists have been bum fuzzled by this and all these rational thinkers think how in the world could a man live in the belly of a fish? Well, there's one key word right there that, that nobody seems to pull out. The Lord had prepared. The Lord measured up Jonah. He said, okay, you're five foot nine. You weigh about 180 pounds. I got, I'll make one just right now for you. Just right size right now. And I found out that to be my statement for in, in my life that the, if I won't bend my knee over this, God has tailor-made a, a specific situation, a, a circumstance, something tailor-made to fit me just right. I say it like this. God knows where everybody's knees bend. And if you won't bend them, he will. Now, you don't want that now. But God, in his mercy... Before you run headlong off the cliff and go to the end of the earth to get away from me, I've got some roadblocks, I've got some stop signs, i got some big fish waiting on you. So God sends a storm. God sends a fish. Now, it, it, it's still amazing to me, Jonah. Go back to him now. He's kind of a central figure here. Jonah is so stubborn. He is so hard-headed. Anybody know anybody like that? He is so hard-headed. He will not relent or repent. He is so stubborn that he would rather drown than repent. I hope you're not like that. I mean, we may be slow learners, but let's get there. We may be slow to get there, but let's get there. But Jonah said, I'd rather die. And God said, that's not the plan. So chapter 2 is an interesting chapter in the Bible because it basically is a prayer. Now, when, when you read prayers like that, they're, they're kind of holy moments. Now, you're getting a peek into, into somebody's holy sanctuary, so to speak. All of chapter 2 is a prayer. Go read it. Go read it this week. We're not going to read the whole thing now, but read it this week and see what he prays. Jonah prays finally. Everybody say finally. Finally, he prays. He could have prayed in Joppa when he found out how much it's going to cost. He could have prayed when the wind started blowing, knowing good and well he was the cause. He could have prayed when those men started throwing their livelihood over the boat. He could have prayed when they cast lights and it all pointed the fingers to him. He could have prayed when three of them had a hold of his legs and two of them a hold of his arms, ready to sling him in the water. He could have prayed. But he waited. But finally, finally, Jonah prays. In fact, the first verse says this. Then Jonah, then Jonah. You see that the idea? But God, then Jonah, prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. My personal experience, you can have some real deep conversation in the fish's belly. That's what happens to this man. Part of his prayer is this. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol, or the belly of death, I cried, and you heard my voice. And then verse number 10 says this. So the Lord spoke to the fish. After how, many, how long was he in there? Three days and three nights, right? And that's a long three days. And you know what I found out about them three days? Them three days will last as long as it takes for you to humble yourself. Because I've had some three days that turned into two years. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the Lord spoke to the fish. Here's a good word for you. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What a testimony now. God is going to now give Jonah another chance. We're going to talk about that another chance next week. Can we do that? Can I leave you kind of a cliffhanger right here? The Lord spoke to the fish and it spit Jonah out on the dry land. I'll give you three guesses of where he spit him out. <laughs> In the direction of a place called Nineveh, which is a derivative of the word Nina, by the way. Okay. <laughs> now let's let's fast forward to Jesus. Jesus mentions Jonah in his teachings in, in Matthew twelve, verse forty and forty-one. Jesus says this: For as Jonah, you know, the, the the scribes and Pharisees came to him and wanted a sign, and he said, "A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign." And he said, you're not going to get any other sign than that of the prophet Jonah. So this was meant to be a sign to all the people of all of history, especially the Hebrew people. In verse 40, Jesus says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here's your sign. Here's your sign, Jesus says, that I'm the Messiah. Jesus refers to Jonah. In verse 41, it says, The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus says that I'm one that's even greater than the prophet Jonah. Now let's just do a little cross comparison as we close this out. A cross comparison about Jesus being greater than Jonah. Listen, listen to what, what I come up with. Jesus is, he's willing and not reluctant. He's obedient and not rebellious. He's compassionate and not indifferent. He desires mercy and not judgment. Because one of, one of Jonah's problems was he didn't want God to have mercy on him. He wanted God to just burn them up. You ever felt like that about somebody? Well, Jesus is better than that. Thank God he's better than that because he's the one that has the right to call judgment now. Jesus promises to be with us through it all. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Jesus loves sinners. He loved those pagans on that boat. He loved those pagans in Nineveh. But here's the good news too. He also loves the wayward saints. All the striving you see with the scribes and Pharisees, they were wayward saints. They were God's people who had went astray. And Jesus struggles with them, tries to pull them in. He loves both saints and sinners. And Jesus brings complete salvation. And here's the wonderful thing. He's glad to do it. Jonah's going to go with a grim, grimace face. 
Jesus is going to be glad to do it. And the scripture says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross for our sakes. Amen. Amen. Storms sometimes save us, you know. They can. They sometimes wake us up to the reality of God. Consider this in closing. Instead of, God saved me from the storm, try this on for size. Instead of God saved me from the storm, ask God this, what is this storm saving me from? You may be surprised at his answer. And beloved, if you put on your track shoes and you're running from God, stop. Just stop running from God. Stop running. Stop running from him. Turn on your heels and run back to it. And then ask him, say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And what do you want me to do? You're going to get an answer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're just ever merciful to us. You always seem to strive with us, contend with us, pull us, draw us, convict us, speak to our hearts through circumstances, through people, through whispers, through your spirit. You speak to us in so many different ways. And Lord, I pray as your people that you would take the stubbornness right out of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to just give that to you, that old hard heart that's gotten that way over years over cynicism, over difficulty, over troubles and tragedies that's happened. Give us that tender heart that can hear you, Lord, and that tender heart that's just more than willing to do what you require, to do what you ask. Thank you for the striving that you do with Jonah here. For it gives us great hope that you're not going to give up on us. Thank you, Lord. 